Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Autodesk's Digital Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we'll be diving into the world of 3D printing and how the technology impacts the construction industry. To help tell this story, I'm joined by Stefan Mansour. Stefan is an advisor and consultant helping organizations adopt innovative approaches to transforming the construction industry. His experience has an emphasis on additive manufacturing and construction with the specialty in digitization and innovative technology adoption. He is also leading the International Additive Manufacturing and Construction Initiatives with JG80 and is a subcommittee vice chair with ASTM. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Stefan. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Eric, and glad to be here. Yeah, it's going to be fun to, to kind of get into the nuance of 3D printing because I think a lot of people have a very high level either assumption of you know the, the potential capabilities or at sometimes possibly some misunderstanding of what's actually possible. So I'm excited to learn from you for this one and it's going to be a cool conversation sure glad to have it yeah so to get started i'd like to take some time to unpack the what and why behind 3d printing and possibly bust some common myths tied to the technology and from there we'll take a look at how our listeners can get started with 3d printing themselves and we'll also speculate a little bit on what the future might bring for this technology in the construction world So at a high level, can you explain what exactly 3D printing is and how it currently ties into the construction industry? So in in basic terms, I mean, 3D printing is just laying one material over another uh, to build a structure that you normally have in every construction site. It's based on a 2D model or design uh, that is later sliced into robotic language in order to actually achieve that print. So the material is uh, tailored sometimes to the printing application that is available. So it might be cement-based or it might be a polymer plastics or synthetic. But basically the same requirements for the end structure still stand when for the 3D printing. So you still have to go through the same testing requirements, structural requirements, and so on. It's such an interesting technology to kind of take back, look and see how it's evolved over the years. I've got a, a number of friends who have, you know, hobby level 3D printers in their homes and they, you know, build parts for, you know, maybe a motorcycle project they're working on or something. And it's all a very small scale, but it's it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see how we can develop that at length and really see how it can fit into our upcoming, you know, construction workflows as we look to improve all of the different project delivery methods that we have. So... Are there any common misconceptions or 3D printing myths that you'd like to take an opportunity to debunk before we get too far into the uh, discussion today? <laughs> yes, I have quite a few. And, and it's one of them is that 3D printing is actually a new uh, process and it's still at the very early stages. And this is uh, one thing I'd like to, to sort of debunk. The early first 3D printing machine actually was created in 1930s and 1940s by uh, Urschel, a company called Urschel based in Indiana. And they actually printed several structures uh, in 
the same technology is actually still being used by various technology providers today. So they're actually incorporated reinforcement, the way they actually printed a dome roof. Even though they actually printed an extension to their headquarters in Indiana, which actually still stands today. So people who actually want to visit that uh, 70 or 60 years later can actually see that structure. So it's not a new technology. It just started off in 1930s and 40s, picked up again back in 1990s uh, with Dr. Kushneris uh, and Corto Crafting. And, and since then, it's just picked up speed. So to say that it's just very early and it's something new, I would like to say no. There's a lot of advancements that are happening in material technology and so on. So we, we are... Uh, we deserve to have the same voice and the same uh, sort of uh, platform as everybody else has in different sectors and different industries. The other thing is that uh, it's just five, you can print in 24 hours. This is not true. Uh, the actual printing time, it might take 24 hours, but the actual construction period, it takes usually two to three weeks. So expecting to have a house being uh, available and finished and, and presto, it's there in 24 hours just doesn't work. So that that's not true. Also, the, the price tag that some people are advertising, that it's only $5,000 or $4,000. This is also, uh, I'd like to debunk that uh, only because the, you can only achieve a, a sort of like an affordable housing type of price when you're doing things at scale. Uh, so if you're doing 100 houses, 1,000 houses, then yes, the, the price of technology and material and so on will, will go down. But doing everything on a single house or just a handful of houses, you're still carrying on the, the price of technology, material, logistics, uh, and so on onto those five houses as opposed to the 1,000 or 100 that are available in the market. One last thing is, is pretty much just that you have to have a big R&D department in order to actually adopt 3D printing. There are many ways you can actually start getting into 3D printing, um, either through collaboration with technology providers, uh, discussing things, pilot projects, starting small, and then you'll be able to actually move little by little to actually uh, achieving that and, and having 3D printing as part of your tool in your construction process. You've actually debunked a couple myths or misconceptions that I had. I honestly didn't recognize or realize that 3D printing had been around since the 30s. I think that showed up in my, I guess, worldview in probably the last 15 or 20 years. So <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate that base level. And I think you're you're on the money on, on the scale part, too, because like if we really want to embrace all of these new, well, as you just showcased, not new technologies in a meaningful way within construction, if we don't have that, that groundwork that infrastructure and that workflow to really leverage it, it, it definitely would be harder to, you know, take it out to market and start building on on site. So thank you for, you know, crushing some of those misconceptions. I'm, no I'm eager to learn more about what we actually can do. <laughs> no worries. So the last time that we spoke, you mentioned that many out there think of 3D printing in construction only within the context of 3D printing concrete. And that's one element that I was familiar with previously, but I'd love it if you could share any other other applications of 3D printing on a construction project that our listeners might not be familiar with? Well, I mean, 3D printing is not just concrete and it's not just uh, building houses. I mean, you could do many things with 3D printing just like you do anything uh, normally with conventional means of, of, of uh, concrete or mortar or, or brick as well. And then basically we're talking about facades for buildings. Uh, that that's where 3D printing can play a key role, especially with the different designs and intricate designs that are coming out. Uh, it doesn't have to be square or you don't have to do a mold in order to achieve the the, uh, the very artistic or inquisitive or designs that you want to get into. Uh, but also, it, the, in, as far as construction is concerned, it, it goes as far as printing spare parts, uh, printing fixtures. Um, if you look at the home, uh, when you walk into a uh, new construction in a home, you can actually th 3D print everything and anything in the, in the house in terms of fixtures, faucets, uh, doorknobs, lintels. 
door frames, uh, doors themselves, window frames, uh, and in addition to the houses uh, that, that you're actually printing. So everything can be 3D printed. It's just a matter of how far do you want to go and, and how scalable is this in terms, and, and also affordable when you're talking about investments and, and money that you're going to put in. Uh, of course, buying a $1,000 uh, doorknob is not, is not going to fly, but it, it is possible to do that. But also, when it comes to spare parts, for example, when you're talking about the oil and gas and remote projects, uh, th there's a lot of pro problems that happen in construction sites when it comes to inventory uh, and having the right piece at the right time when something and if something breaks down. And usually there, there's a two or three week lead time when you're talking about remote projects. So 3D printing can actually be very effective in actually providing that material or having that, that part available within a few hours or a day at most as opposed to waiting three weeks uh, and putting the whole project on a standstill just because you're waiting for, let's say, a $10 piece that is uh, crucial in, in operations. I appreciate your, your context on how it's not, like it has that art, you can have like an artisanal flair to it as well, mm -hmm. instead of just being something so boring if you have the technology to implement at scale, it, it kind of makes me think back to a recent episode we had on prefabrication and we debunked the myth that prefab is only cookie cutter boxes and is, you know, very boring design mm -hmm. elements. And it, it sounds like that's, you know, relevant here as well. So the compartmentalization of uninteresting, I guess, potential for 3D printing should be, you know, clearly debunked. It's just really dependent on how you're out there implementing it. But I, I also really love your insight on that remote type of project. And I think supply chains are something everybody right now is mm -hmm. super familiar with just because we're in a very unique circumstance. But I worked on a number of projects when I was with one of the prior GCs I worked for that were in remote or imminent danger environments. And waiting for materials was one of the most challenging logistical issues that we dealt with. And it wouldn't be just you know days or weeks. Sometimes it'd be three to six months to depending on what you were trying to source and how long it would take to actually get to your site. So, you know, being able to eliminate that and have that kind of kit of parts, you know, on deck within reason for, you know, 3D printing technology seems like an absolute win for people who are doing work, you know, that aren't 10 minute drive away from Home Depot for something they might, uh, you know, need for their project. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and in that sense also, I mean, like many construction companies have within their scope, for example, if they build offices and, and residential buildings that they, that furniture is part of their scope. You can actually look at, for example, office furniture and 3D printing that office furniture in so that you eliminate the, the lead time that's, that's associated with that. So instead of having a whole project come to a standstill because you're waiting for the furniture and you cannot actually turn over or commission project, um, that would be something that you can actually address with 3D printing and actually using local resources to actually achieve that. So this, this makes me think a little bit about the last 18 months that we've been through. And my question is, has that... I guess, supply change tied to the pandemic increase the interest or visibility that 3D printing has had in the construction space? Yeah, very much so. I mean, like when you look at the lead times, just lead times when you had the ports closed and, and shipments were delayed and, and the material um, was, was um, at the very high shortage, also labor shortage as well. Just for looking at the labor shortage in itself. Uh, and, and also another thing that I'd like to explain is that 3D printing is not here to replace any labor. We're actually trying to supplement the labor 
labor force that is actually decreasing uh, with with each passing month and year. And the the younger generation is not actually too enthused about getting into construction only because nobody wants to work outdoors in extreme heat and extreme uh, cold uh, temperatures and actually uh, uh, sort of uh, exposing themselves to so, to um, very hazardous um, environments. So this is where like 3D printing can actually take away and actually do the very unsafe uh, job, so to speak, and, and, and provide an efficient way of actually doing construction. So in terms of material also, um, it, it, you can do, uh, 3D printing is not limited to certain just concretes, um, and many people are looking at uh, synthetic material to actually print. Uh, and that could be sourced uh, locally or actually, for example, sourced from, from a local provider bringing in circular economy into that as well. So there are many ways that the 3D printing opens the doors for actually using different materials to achieve the same structural elements that we're used to. And the labor part of that conversation is such an important one, especially the very clear point that this isn't a replacement intention. This this is augmentation. It's it's basically leaving people to do the things that they do best or creating that safer environment instead of taking away opportunities. And I've had similar discussions tied to artificial intelligence and machine learning and such. Mm-hmm. And once we start combining all of these things, especially with, as you alluded to, the, the ongoing challenge with finding skills labor to you know build the world that we live in finding ways to leverage technology like this is just going to become more and more important especially as you know the platforms converge and the the systems communicate with each other even more than they ever did in the past so it's it's an exciting moment although i do hope that we find more ways to change what i i consider and colleague josh bone who says is a perception problem with construction it's there is some really cool stuff that our peers get to do there's awesome technology there's great opportunities. It's just making sure that people understand it's not pushing wheelbarrows and, you know, digging holes. It's, you know, you're out there laser scanning and 3D printing and, you know, using all kinds of really cool technology to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, I mean, like, there are many disciplines that still require, are still needed in the construction sectors. I mean, like, we just print the walls and maybe in the future we'll print the slabs and the roofs, but I mean, the electrical and the plumbing and all the finishing internal, the tiling, that that's still needed. And so far, there is, there's no way to actually automate that at this stage. But also, I tried to reference a survey or a study done by the United Nations that by 2030, you have a world population that's supposed to grow by 3 billion. Um, in order to accommodate the, that growth, but also to supplement for the already housing shortage that we have, you have to build a city the size of Paris every week for the next four years, 40 years. So, I mean, like that's in itself is, is, is is a lot of, of to, to ask for in a, in a very shrinking labor force. So 3D printing is just a means to actually help build those houses and infrastructure that is required for the growing population that, that, that is that's coming ahead. It's a huge challenge too, because even outside of the, I'd say probably the most common conversation point here in the US specifically tied to housing is just, you know, cost, but it's it's not even necessarily just a cost conversation, it's an access conversation. If there isn't housing to support the amount of people that need to live in a place, the the problem is immeasurable. And if we don't have resourcing and ability to augment the workforce that we do have to meet those needs, mm-hmm. the, the challenge and the prices and everything else are just gonna, you know, spike in a way that I don't think anybody wants to see. It's it's a yeah. it's a big deal. 
Yeah, it is. It is. And, and just one of the biggest uh, uh, clients now or the big, biggest adopters of 3D printing is Habitat for Humanity. I mean, they've done that in different places in the U.S., uh, but also uh, come spring of next year, they're actually going to have here in Canada as well, uh, a few houses that are going to be printed as well. Nice. It's it's great to hear that people are starting to find ways to, you know, meaningfully leverage this technology. And I, I do think it's something that everybody listening should explore within the construction ecosystem. But what is really blocking our industry from further embracing 3D printing on the job site? Like, it seems like we've made a case that this is something that is here and available now should people choose to take take advantage. But what, what's blocking us from rolling it out tomorrow? Uh, the biggest thing, I mean, one of the driving factors of anything in construction is standards. I mean, nobody builds anything without referring to certain specific standards that they have to adopt in order to say, okay, this structure is safe. This structure can stand for the next 20, 50 years. And we can actually sign uh, our name to it and, and commission it and provide it and provide uh, a sort of like if it's a house uh, a certificate of residency and, and be be able to sleep at night knowing that this roof is not going to fall on, on the people that actually live in that house and and this is usually the i would say it's not the construction sector is not a technology adverse that they're pushing back because they've used to the way they're doing things for the past hundred years or plus more it, it's not that it, it's pretty much that they are they have a lot of responsibility on their shoulders that they have to deliver safe structures Structures to ensure that these structures stay standing, provide a safe dwelling for the people who live in them. So if any pushback comes from the construction center, it is based on that, uh, not because they don't want to embrace technology, but just because there's a lot of concern. So once you get past that, and, and since nothing in construction happens without standards, I'm leading two initiatives, one with Joint Group 80, which is an ISO ASTM effort, as well as an ASTM effort with F420707, where we're trying to put these standards for construction in order to make it easier for the construction companies and for the general contractors to say, okay, yes, this is a viable solution. This is something I can certify and I can stand behind the structure that I print basic, based on the structural and the other testing requirements that, that are required either locally or internationally by that. It's such an important point, too, because you know, safety is paramount for mm -hmm. any contractor out there doing work right now. It's, it's number one, first thing you think about when anybody steps foot on the project, last thing you think about when somebody heads home for the day. So, mm -hmm. you know, making sure everybody understands that that pushback is definitely rooted in ensuring that we have a baseline to meet, to be able to qualify and say, yes, this is a safe thing. But even outside of that, construction has digitized so much in the last five years in particular that I think the old trope of, you know, people don't want to embrace new technology and construction is behind the, the curve is simply inaccurate now. Like we have so much technology that honestly, mm -hmm. that's even its own challenge in navigating which ones are relevant for whatever particular project and making sure everything talks to each other. But I appreciate you putting in the legwork to try to get those standards out there for people to uh, adhere to. And if anybody out there is curious about standards and construction in general, we have a recent episode about ISO 19650, which is a really interesting deconstruction of you know how we got there and how people can actually apply those on projects that they're uh, working on today. Mm -hmm. What the interesting thing is, of course, is the adoption for these different standards differs from country to country. So it's it's 
a little bit of a weird conversation when you look at it globally, simply because what the United States is doing may differ very dramatically from, say, the United Kingdom is doing, mm -hmm. or say, somebody in Dubai or Saudi Arabia. So getting that baseline, I think, continues to become ever more important. So we have something to rally around. Absolutely. And, and this is why, I mean, this is a group effort, especially with major GCs and technology providers and material suppliers globally. So we have representation in both committees from uh, all the way from New Zealand and all the way to California and everything and anything in between. So it's, there's is commercial effort, uh, sorry, international and commercial effort that's coming into place to put these standards together and trying to, the first draft of when we're talking about joint group 80 is to actually bridge the gap between 3D printing and traditional so that when a, when a GC wants to actually use or implement 3D printing, they can actually refer to this standard and say, okay, this is how I can work it and, and this is how I can certify my structure based on the existing standards that they use on a day-to-day -day basis. So, and once they learn and, and they actually get used to the technology, that's when we start doing the revisions to the standard and move away to the more innovative and more sort of futuristic and more efficient ways of doing things. Well, it sounds like you've got the right people having a seat at the table to have this conversation, which is incredibly important, especially when we have that international lens to uh, ensure that the, the adoption makes sense for all the different geos and the ways mm -hmm. of working. But I love how construction, this industry can, can really come together to have these meaningful conversations and share knowledge to ensure that, you know, we, we get it right when we you know, bring these standards to market or build out new best practices and such. So that's that's really cool to see. Right. Are yeah. there any early adopters that you've worked with that have found ways to really benefit from 3D printing, despite some of the blockers that you just shared? There have been, some companies have actually taken the steps to actually 3D print structures, uh, bridges and homes, um, and actually gone through the, the process of, of certifying their elements for oil and gas industry. So they are taking the steps, but they're taking the steps maybe cautiously and in the right direction. So when when adopting new technologies, especially in these sectors, in construction, oil and gas, which are very traditional and very conservative in, in their nature, you have to tread a very thin line and not to go push too fast. Um, you have to dot all the uh, I's and cross all the T's as you move forward with each step. So it, it's a long process that, that will need to take place. But once they have achieved that, then it, it's you're in the right path. You're in that sort of like the uh, sweet spot uh, when it comes to uh, adoption and acceptance. Uh, and then it just magnifies from there. The anecdote that I've heard that I think is relevant here is our industry is often really, really rushing to be second place. They want somebody <laughs> to define it and they build it and they go, okay, this works. They yeah. did it. It's cool. All right. And then everybody, you know, jumps on board to be, uh, you know, second in line to jump in and take advantage of the technology. But you're absolutely right. The the process and the implementation of something so impactful, especially since it's, you know, it's a structural element oftentimes, mm -hmm. needs to be intentional just to make sure that we're, you know, hitting all of those safety metrics that we were talking about a few minutes ago. Absolutely. And you have to be have to, there are different layers when you actually have to get buy-in so it's not just the corporate office and, or the leadership uh, or the main main office uh, the, of the construction company for example you have to go down to the project level because each each one is is, is sort of like an entity of its own so once you get the buy-in from the main office then you have to actually get the buy-in from the project and the buy-in from the project is usually the hardest to get when you get when, when it's introducing new technologies sort of like integrating a new technology or a new method into their existing project that they have to at, at deadline to meet that's on budget so it, it you have to tread very carefully but you have to be very conscious of what's going on in the project and sort of be uh, empathetic as to, as to the, the, the pushback that you get so it's not always negative uh, just because they want to be negative but because they are 
they're under the under pressure to get to deliver the projects uh, on time. Yeah, the the intentionality required to set up a safe space for innovation and construction is incredibly important. And you're you're absolutely right. If leadership decides we're going to do a thing without really meaningful conversations about it with you know the people that are actually out there doing the building and on site and everything along those lines, the hesitation is understandable simply because they don't feel like they were a participant in the decision or the conversation. And so so mm-hmm. if you if you don't have those sometimes difficult conversations up front and act in a very prescriptive way, even if you've got the best idea in the world and it's going to improve the quality of life of those who are doing the building and the end user at the end of the day, you're still probably going to get some hesitation that you could have avoided if you had you know had those meaningful share outs and asked for feedback to make sure that you were implementing things in a way that was actually you know executable at the project level. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we've done a really nice job of showcasing the what and the why using 3D printing in construction. So I'd like to take a little bit of a closer look at the how, and then maybe if we have some time, make a couple of predictions about what's coming in the future. Sure. So where would you suggest our listeners start if they're eager to adopt 3D printing at their own organizations? Yeah, the mis- another misconception <laughs> that we need to rebuff is that you buy a 3D printer and presto, everything's going to work. And that's not the case. Just, you have to think, think of 3D printing just like you would do any other piece of equipment in the, in the in your construction site. So you're not going to buy a multi-million dollar piece of equipment to sit on your construction site and now scratch your head and figure out, okay, how am I going to use this? You have to address a point, a pain point within your construction or the way you do your operations or your business that way where you think the 3d printing can actually address that and that's where you invest into the technology and and come in and resolve that so first you address your pain points and then you sort of find the right technology uh, to actually resolve that pain point there are many different variations and versions and materials out there when it comes to 3d printing so not one solution fits all it depends on what your scope is for your project uh, but also depends on what you have investment in terms of finances and how much you can actually invest invest in these technologies and materials. So always start small, always uh, address a pain point. You don't have to get into full-fledged $1.5 million in, in investment to buy a piece of equipment and then try to f- figure out, well, what is my ROI and how soon can I get my money back? type thing. Collaboration is key. Find the right partner. And then different technologies can be used for different uh, uh, projects. So it's not one solution fits all type thing. And I love that approach to really narrowing the focus to figure out where those easy wins are to build on too, because it does a couple things. One, like you said, your your scale of implementation isn't as staggering as it might be if you went, all right, we're going to go buy, you know, five of these massive machines and then see what happens. So you get to, you know, dip your toe in and say, okay, Like, here's an element where we can control it. We understand what the ROI might be and kind of build on that. Mm -hmm. And if you do prove that case, if you do get your quick win and you say, oh, wow, we streamlined that workflow, that you know, end deliverable is better quality than it was. We save money, whatever that, you know, that goal might be. That's something that you get to go to the other project teams now and say with really meaningful data, this is how this improved how I'm doing X on this project. You can do this too. And we can also apply it into these different areas. And then you just start spreading it out into the different elements. And then, you know, suddenly you've got five, $15 million 3D printers and you're, you know, going for gold, but you're absolutely right. Starting intentionally is is 
like I think for any technology adoption, the right place to uh, to kind of build your baseline from. Yeah, and then buy-in is a big thing, especially when the end consumer, because the end consumer is going to look at this and say, okay, well, this is not something I'm used to. So, like, if you start from urban furniture, people can touch it and feel it and see it. They can take a sledgehammer to it and see how how durable it is. And then from urban furniture, move to formwork, from formwork to retaining walls, from retaining walls to structural elements to actual physical houses and, and structures and bridges. So just one step, start small and and move one step at a time and the more buy-in you get and the more people are comfortable with it that's how it will actually achieve and, and come through to it and it seems like it's something that makes sense to consider adopting too with looking for off-site opportunities for getting less people to be you know out on the project site so mm-hmm. much like prefabrication and other more streamlined elements of a building that we've been implementing at a, a higher rate in the last year and a half feels like 3d printing could like easily slip into that space too to you know more safely control your project have less people out on site and then in turn you know you've got a safer working environment for everybody because it's more controlled absolutely i mean you could do on-site off-site and you could do Industrial, industrialized construction uh, where 3D printing can actually play a key role as well. So, I mean, like there's different ways and it's very adaptable to, to different environments and requirements uh, for each project. So is 3D printing something our listeners could consider leveraging to help meet sustainability goals? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, just looking at the waste that each construction site actually produces, you could actually take the wood that is discarded from the formwork and actually turn that into dust and, and print furniture, for example, or print other means uh, that can be used for your structures. There, also, we're looking at, for example, uh, recycling plastics so um, and polymers. And there are several initiatives uh, away from construction, but I mean, like they are companies out there that are, I think, for example, ocean waste and trying to print the uh, using the uh, taking the fishnets that are being discarded in all these oceans and actually recycling that into pellet form and actually printing items uh, from that. When I when I talk about the scope of 3D printing, uh, it, it goes far and wide. I mean, there's a company in Sweden that actually printed a coffee station out of recycled coffee grounds. So they actually took the waste from the coffee grounds and printed a coffee station that even smells like coffee when you try to go get a coffee. So I mean. <laughs> There's, like there's so many things out there. We are notorious in the construction sector for waste. Uh, all that discarded wood, all that discarded metal, plastics can actually be recycled uh, and we can actually do something with that in terms of either printing frames or, or window frames, door frames uh, or furniture or, or anything like that. So the possibilities are there. It's really cool to hear the the fact that it could be like a very contained part of your sustainability goals tool where you could literally say like our formwork in turn was turned into furniture that is useful, nice and meets the exact you know specifications of our customers. So it, as you said, anything we can do to reduce waste as an industry is, is paramount in just really improving our footprint in the entire world. So thank you for kind of giving that context, especially as it steps outside of just the bounds of construction and really, you know, has a very widespread potential impact on just the world in general. It's a, it's a cool technology. Yeah. And I mean, just, uh, just for a simple reference, I mean, like us as a big, con- uh, I was working for a big general contractor uh, based out of Europe and uh, we were growing exponentially when it came to like office space and, and desks and chairs and so on. And then every time we moved or every time, every couple of years, they would actually take the old furniture and, and put new furniture in there. But then the old furniture would sit in storage after spending so much money trying to trying to acquire that furniture. Uh, when you're looking at something as simple as that, I mean, the cost associated with that, you could just take the old furniture if it's 3D printed, 
break it down, recycle it, and then print new. And this is something, for example, you can offer as a service um, if, if you're in the furniture business with, with your clients that you that every year that if they want to uh, upscale or, or sort of like redesign their furniture, just take your old one, old furniture, break it down, and then reprint new ones. I like that. You you can kind of meet that class A office cutting edge element where you go, do you want brand new every year to keep, you know, your mm-hmm. customers or your employees really engaged with the space? Like now you can do that in a way that isn't so nasty to the environment yeah. at the end of the day or, you know, just taking a needless storage space at, uh, that nobody needs to be paying for anyway. So, <laughs> exactly. so let's get our crystal ball out and take a, a look at the future. So first off, with all the work that's already in motion supporting 3D printing standards and construction. Do you have any predictions for when those standards might officially be released and something people can, you know, read and look at and say, okay, I can now 3D print my office building and here's my standard. Yeah. My, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if that's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it's not a loaded question. I mean, standards are needed today. Uh, they're needed today before they're needed tomorrow. I started off this initiative. We officially became Joint Group AT and ISO back in March of this year. Um, I am hoping, I'm still pushing and very very optimistic about having the standards published by next summer, which is a very fast a sort of track type initiative because normally it takes three to five years to actually print uh, produce standards. But this this is my hope. So hopefully by by next summer we will have a first draft or first published version of the standards in 3D construction, and which is basically going to be matching the traditional way of we doing construction with how 3D printing can fit in. So it creates that that link. And then once we actually publish that, then we're actually going into a revision quickly uh, soon after just to, to actually move one step ahead and, and take away move away from the, the traditional columns and beams and actually use uh, for example load-bearing walls um, without having to reinforce them 10 times over with rebar so uh, that, that's that's pretty much the, the the golden approach the predictions in terms of uh, adoption I mean things have picked up very quickly here in the US uh, or North America alone in the past six months um, ever since uh, the summer of last year where now we have houses coming up in Arizona and uh, in the East Coast as well. And Mighty Buildings is doing a lot of things in, in, in the West Coast. So the pickup is there. It just needs that we need to have the standards that need to be in place to actually enable this technology to actually be adopted on mass and on scale, as opposed to the one-offs that are either in a certain location or a certain region in the country. Uh, and then every time you have to certify your structure, you have to go through a lengthy monthly process in order to get the certificates and the paperwork done. So we're trying to cut that short. And, and if we cut that short and with eyes on ASTM as, as uh, organizations behind this, that actually takes away a lot of the concern that most GCs and adopters have when it comes to adopting or using the technology. That's exciting to hear. And I'm going to have to check back in with you at the tail end of next summer to see uh, <laughs> see where we're at on the progress. But hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have this, you know, this cascade effect where we finally put that last brick in place when we go okay like now we can get going we've got that baseline to build on and then go from there if that all you know comes to fruition and in yeah the end of the summer we've got some standards to look at what do you think we'll be as an industry in 15 or 20 or 50 years from now when it comes to 3d printing yeah my goal is to have 3d printing just like any other tool in construction um, just like you see cranes and bulldozers and, and loaders, uh, that, that's that's my, my goal. Um, and again, it's not there to replace any workforce. It's just there to actually uh, help the existing workforce and, and to entice the new generation to actually come into this uh, with playing with uh, gadgets and robotics and, and uh, virtual reality and, and so on to actually 
entice the younger generation to actually build better, more efficiently, less waste, faster and safer. Yeah, there's there's so many cool elements that come into play tied to it instead of just thinking about the actual building part tied to 3D printing. So I, I appreciate you, you know, giving that overview and helping uh, both myself and uh, our listeners out there have a better understanding of where the technology's at and, you know, what might be coming in the funnel should those standards meet their, uh, their rollout as you're, you know, hoping that by the end of next summer. So mm-hmm. to close out this week's episode, I have one final question that all of our listeners are familiar with. And Stefan, what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? Uh, from a literal uh, perspective sense, um, I carry a tape measure. And everything you have to measure, everything with, that, that you either build or, or construct, especially in our construction sector, measuring is, is key to everything and the basis of everything. So in, in my toolbox, that measuring tape is, is it. And from the general sense, uh, I guess it's my cell phone because um, people have to be in touch with what's going on. It's the way to communicate, uh, be aware of what, what, what the new and the latest is and so on. So yeah, from a figurative to a I like both answers. I think I own five tape measures, one of which is in my desk right here. So I'm, I'm always carrying them around. My dad always was the, uh, you know, measure twice, cut once uh, no, perspective. Me- measure, measure more than twice, like, <laughs> cut once. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've thrown too many two by fours away where I'm like, oh, like that, <laughs> that, yeah, that didn't meet what I was looking for. And the, yeah. the phone thing, like mobile technology is crazy. I mean, if you think about it, 10 years ago, you know, or whenever the, the iPad had first rolled out, it changed the conversation with construction technology in such a wild way that I don't know if anybody really expected to to iterate so quickly. And now, you know, with the power of our smartphones, whether you're, you know, just connecting to make sure you have all the up-to-date information or you're actually using technology directly on your phone to support the industry, it's it's such an important tool that, you know, fortunately, almost everybody has access to regardless of, you know, where they are in the world or what type of construction project they're actually supporting. Absolutely. And especially now with changes happening in the construction site and then the daily the changes that happen and adjustments that happen to the design and, and to, the, to the lead times and, and to the subcontractor work and so on. So it's nice to get those that that knowledge instantaneously as opposed to just waiting two weeks or finding out later when, when you need the equipment and it's not there, why it's not there. So um, it, it's nice to be aware of what's happening, especially when it comes to shop drawings and, and other engineering drawings that are there to to immediately know when a change is happening so that you don't sort of have to do a lot of rework in the end. Yeah, nobody likes, oh, look, the new shop drawings arrived today on oh, yeah. the scope of work that I finished yesterday. It's not a we good feeling. We have ducks coming over here where we're supposed to have a wall and everything like that, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, eliminating those surprises is, uh, is yeah. critical for sure. So I know you're working on a lot of cool stuff right now. Is there anything you'd like to plug or share with our listeners? I'm working on several projects. Uh, there are a couple of projects coming up in, in, in the US and Tor- in Toronto, so uh, stay tuned for that, and yeah. Nothing I can share because it's sort of like in the works, but uh, definitely things coming up for sure. All right. So everybody out there listening should go and follow Stefan on whatever platforms he has because something's (laughs) coming, but we can't talk about it quite yet. And uh, to that effect, how should people reach out to you if they've got any questions or like to uh, to contact you? Absolutely. Always happy to discuss 3D printing or any or adoption of 3D printing or or standards for that matter. Um, LinkedIn is the best place. So just look me up, Stefan Mansour. Yeah, and I go happy to share my email address too, if that's uh, I know I'm opening the floodgate 
updates, but that's okay. It's uh, yeah, stefan.mansour at gmail.com. All right. Well, he is ready for your emails if you have any questions. So uh, jump right on that. But everybody, thanks again for taking the time to join us on this episode of Autodesk Digital Builder Podcast. If you've got any questions for me or want to suggest a guest for a future episode, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts or whatever favorite player that you're using. All you've got to do is open up the app, find Digital Builder and select the number of stars that you think we deserve. Super easy, and it does really make a difference for my team on the back end of everything. And of course, you can always like, subscribe to, or share this specific episode if you enjoyed it. So on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.